Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. Well, today we want to introduce Ashley Isles, who's a physician here at the University of Louisville School of Medicine. Ashley, will you tell us about your role here at UofL? So I started on faculty with the Department of Family Medicine in 2018. Since then, I've been blessed uh, with a lot of different hats to wear in the education realm. So far, I have been able to engage in resident education, being core faculty for the Family Medicine Residency, as well as being the assistant clerkship director for the third-year medical student clerkship in family medicine. And I'm also the course director for a very truncated training for our fourth-year medical students who are going into family medicine called our Family Medicine Boot Camp. So those are the main education hats that I wear at the university. I remember Ashley wrote an article not too long ago, and it was a a publication for the Kentucky Academy of Family Physicians. Ashley, I was hoping you could just kind of talk about that, because in that article, you talked about how learning is kind of hard, and I'm wondering how you came to that conclusion, and just kind of tell us the story. My story in academics probably follows a very similar path as many uh, medical professionals. College was not necessarily a particularly difficult academic challenge for me. And coming into medical school, obviously, it's a different level of challenge. A lot of the bad habits that I didn't know at the time were bad habits with my studying and um, approach to learning, very faulty. I think that as a broader academic culture, we still are very test-based. And so students learn to be very test-oriented in their studying. And so I was very good at studying for tests, and I was very good at passing tests. What did that look like for you when you're studying for a test? So in undergrad, I was very good at the cramming technique. Yes. (laughs) So um, studying a little bit at the front end as material was introduced, but that involved a lot of, you know, sort of reading and just rewriting notes. Then as test time got closer, ramp up the intensity, study it for the exam. And then unfortunately, I didn't realize how much of it I was losing immediately afterwards. I would think the vast majority of us have used that technique, and uh, it takes great discipline and deliberate intent to do it differently than that. I would suspect that our medical students and our dental students and our nursing students and public health students are all following that same pattern of some vague familiarity, then push, 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 take the test, thank goodness it's over, and go. But unfortunately, as you get to professional school, I mean, you may want to forget about the geography of Scandinavia or something, but but when you get into medical school or dental school, those are things that you should probably remember. And, and cramming for the test is not a good way to do that. What do we do to help trainees see that that is just not the way to go? Because it's ingrained in them, right? It is ingrained, and it was definitely ingrained in me as well. And I think that as an academic culture, There's a lot that needs to change, but I think there's also a lot of effective smaller steps that we can take in our individual teaching and interactions with students that can help push that needle in the right direction. So Ashley, how did you realize that these techniques weren't working for you? To be honest, 
it worked all the way through med school. And then as I got into residency training and actually progressing into being a faculty member, it occurred to me that there's so much that I'd already forgotten that I was then expected to already teach students. And so the intimidation factor of being a brand new faculty right out of residency, I decided to take advantage of some of the faculty development opportunities that the university has and go ahead and take the health professions education um, course and earn my certificate in that, which led to a lot of reading and a lot of um, delving into the current evidence-based Um, learning practices that um, people have been studying and adding to the literature over the past couple of decades. Real learning is hard work. It takes work to truly learn something, to create a real understanding, a durable memory, something that's going to stick with you. Can you maybe describe some of the ways that you can now help your learners to like realize that learning is hard? I think in the medical profession, it's especially easy to make that jump because some of the things that are important historically for learning are now also connected to the evidence base. So let me tell you what I mean. In medicine, you spend the first two years book learning, and Mm -hmm. then in the second two years of medical school, you're actually engaging with patients. And there's a lot of transition that occurs in that time period of taking the book knowledge and applying it to actual patients. In evidence-based learning theory, connecting the dots and actually having experiential memory that you can connect those concepts to is super important for long-term learning. And so I think, unfortunately, we're losing some enthusiasm in our third and fourth year learners for that patient interaction. And a lot of times they're still studying for tests and wanting to leave the hospital early to go study for the test that's coming up. Um, And it's, it's important for us to communicate to them no, this is, this is how real learning works, is when you're able to actually connect the concepts and the more hours you can spend actually helping your brain go through that process of connecting the concepts from the book to the patients, that's where the real learning happens. And it is hard work and it takes a lot of time. Our accumulation of knowledge is so driven by tests and by the performance because there's a number associated with it rather than focusing on the enduring learning or making sure that you can actually apply the knowledge after you're done with, you know, a multiple choice test. How do you convince a student, though, when these these tests are so important to their performance, what grade they're going to get in their clerkship? How do you convince them that the time is well spent um, on these other tasks? Well, I think one thing that's helpful is another concept that has been studied some in the literature, and it's that of emotional connection and helping the students connect um, what they're learning to something existential, larger than themselves. That really um, is a beneficial component to learning is having a a higher purpose or a greater purpose. And again, medicine is particularly well suited to helping to remind them of that connection and and help them see that that bigger picture because they're all starting to feel the weight of being the one in charge of patient care. And it is, it's fairly daunting. So most of them are convincible. So maybe one way to, to frame this would be to think about the difference between knowledge and understanding, where maybe the tests are more focused on knowledge than understanding, but the world we live in to treat patients requires an understanding of how to use the information and how to apply it in, in a certain setting. And when it doesn't follow what the book says, interpolating, what are we going to do now, given that this patients are unique? And so maybe, Stacey, can you talk about knowledge versus understanding and how it might how it might relate to this discussion? When I think about knowledge versus understanding, 
to me, the knowledge are those, just like you said, those factual pieces of information, things you can recall, things that you, you know. Retell. Retell. Regurgitate. Restate. All of those types of words. But true understanding, real understanding means you can take those facts, those things you can retell and restate, and you can analyze that information. You can apply it in in new ways and you can evaluate it and you can actually do something with that information. So until the learner can take the factual information and use it in a different way and do something different, apply it to a new situation, then they really don't have the true understanding. Right. So so facts can be forgotten. Oh yeah. They often are. With how many volumes of facts have we forgotten over our careers. But true understanding of how a process works, it's hard to forget. Because once you understand how it all connects together, then you, you have a, a piece of information in your head that sort of stays. It, it, it is stuck there. So maybe the thing is to, to drive that toward the learner so that they hear, yes, you have to take a test, and yes, there are facts in it, but you also must put in the effort to understand I'm here as your faculty member to provide some context and a framework maybe for putting those facts in a way, and organized in a way where you can now see it differently and understand how it all works together. Because otherwise Google could be the doctor, right? If you just to look up facts or Siri could be your doctor, just look up facts. It's the critical thinking with those facts. It's the critical clinical reasoning with those facts that it demonstrate that you really understand what's going on, what the process is, and applying it to a new situation. Mm-hmm. Just just imagine the dramatic transformation we had to make as this pandemic came on, where everybody thought it'd be over in, okay, a couple of weeks, a month, three months tops, once it warms up, right, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Not so. It didn't happen that way. But everybody had to sort of reframe, what do you already know? that applies now? What do I understand about respiratory viruses and about how things are transmitted and on and on? How do I make vaccines to respiratory viruses? All that understanding had to come right to the front very quickly to be put into play. So facts alone wouldn't have gotten you there. And maybe that provides the most tangible evidence of a recent event that no one's going to forget that has touched all of us in dramatic ways that makes the point that true understanding is the goal. Yes, you still have to pass the test, Laura. You have to get those exams done and done well to get into the right residency and on and on. But that's insufficient. It's necessary but not sufficient. Maybe that's the best way to describe it, that they have to work beyond that for the understanding. It brings me to want to kind of just testify a little bit to some of the things that or tools that I've received through the training, um, one of them being Bloom's Taxonomy, um, because it, as you talk about trying to transition students from that point of memorization up to different levels of understanding and application, um, as an educator, um, the Bloom's taxonomy has really given me a framework to kind of look at that um, from the educator perspective and really start to know how to encourage my students into um, a higher a higher level. Yeah, so strategic questioning, something that you have given presentations about and, and brought to us in terms of how do we do that differently? How do we do it better? Um, that drives this whole notion that you push people towards higher levels of engagement, higher order uh, questions and answers, well beyond just what, what order is this. 
And so maybe that's one of the ways is by asking better questions, we force them to declare if they understand or not. At least we can tell or they can tell, oh, I really don't understand how that works or how that connects together. So maybe that's one thing that faculty could do is to use tools that help them drive those questions to higher order questions to get better understanding. Since most of our clinical teaching happens at the bedside, you know, that questioning being one of the main tools that we have to continue investing in our learners and encouraging them on that learning path, I think it's a critical one to learn to do and learn to do well. Understanding is really something that the learner has to earn. It is something they have to work at where knowledge is just shoving, like, you know, you did an undergrad in medical school. You just shoved information into your brain. But if you can ask these more in-depth, more cognitively complex questions, then we are pushing the learner into understanding because they have to do some work. They've got to do some work. That's a great point because the fact-based answers that come from the lower-order questions don't take a lot of work. Either know or you don't. It's just there. But when you say, okay, I want you to connect for me, and then you give them four things to think about, and tom- come back tomorrow, and I want you to tell me how this all fits together, they're going to have to do something that night to bring that information together in a way that allows you and the student or resident to just come to the realization, I either have it or I don't. And if I don't, how am I going to get it? What do I have to do to fill that gap? And so maybe a big part of what we do is we surface knowledge gaps in understanding more so than knowledge gaps in facts, because literally they could look up stuff in the phone and just answer right off the phone if you asked questions that require fact-based answer. So we've been talking about a lot about learning and maybe the faculty's role in um, pushing students to be applying this knowledge in a different way. I think about, Ashley, what you were saying, the way that you used to engage with with the content and the way that you learned to study. And um, so I have a background in evolution, and we talk about these, like, adaptive peaks that like selective pressures will you know in theory will drive this population up this adaptive peak even if there's a higher peak over there you might not be able to get to it because you can't go down and I think about that with students that you know a better way to study is not rereading it might be applying you know it might be doing these other techniques but it feels harder or it feels like you're not mastering the content in the same way as rereading. So you don't do it because what you've done before, Ashley, you know, like you were saying, it's always worked. So what do you do, how do you teach your students to study in a different way when it feels comfortable and it feels effective, even though it's not ultimately the best process? Well, I think it's interesting to think about it in terms of not just how hard it is in a work from the student perspective, but also in a, this is uncomfortable perspective. Yeah. Yes. Because as faculty start to address or bring to the surface, as Dr. Rabelais said, those understanding gaps, it's very uncomfortable as a learner for those things to be exposed. And so I think it's not only a work of um, the student's approach to learning, but also their acceptance of the technique that we're trying to use um, with them to help them not feel exposed and vulnerable all the time, um, but to actually put them in that place of learning and being able to um, have we'll say, a growth mindset with it. Um, yeah, and they have to feel it's safe, right, mm-hmm. for them to make the mistake of not knowing the answer or not knowing it yet Correct. related to the growth mindset. So one of the things that we as faculty can do is acknowledge the fact that we don't know everything. And when we come across an issue and it becomes, 
What does the COVID protocol say again about Regeneron this week? Because right, <laughs> it keeps changing, right? True. So what does it say this week about the 12-year-olds? I don't know. Let's go look it up. And then you go with them to the computer. You pull it up and you go through. Oh, okay. That's what it says. It shows them it's okay for you to not know everything. And it's okay for them to not know everything. And they simply have to have the uh, willingness and the curiosity and the growth mindset that says, I don't know it yet, and let's go look it up. And, and they're learning from us that as role models, we can show them this is, this is fine. This is how it works. In fact, in a rapidly changing system like we're in now, where literally the protocols for managing these patients change by the week, who could keep up? No one. So, so acknowledge that and just, just go look it up and let them see it's not a failure of any kind. People were not aware. You've mentioned the term growth mindset a couple of times. So Ashley, can you explain what that means? I highly encourage anyone who's interested in more to actually go look up the um, work by Carol Dweck on growth mindset, since she's the one that sort of coined the term and did um, a career's worth of research on it. What it means to me after having kind of read um, and resonated with her material is a mindset where you are not tied to a static state of being or limitation based on your genetics or how your identity, how you're predisposed. Like learning is always possible. Improvement is always possible. Sort of like Laura said earlier with the evolution example of adaptive change, those pressures are uncomfortable, but they are really important for you to continue to change and grow and develop. And if you can embrace those as opportunities and as um, good processes, as uncomfortable as they may be, you're going to reach heights that you wouldn't have been able to if you just avoid challenge, avoid the uncomfortableness, um, and do the things that are easy. I have noticed a lot of medical students and residents and so forth they are really scared of being wrong. They are scared to not look like they know what they're doing. And so to me, it seems like a growth mindset is not very natural for some of these individuals. And so have you noticed that, Ashley? I have, but it's an interesting tension because on the one hand, you have very driven individuals that have gone through this crucible of med school and you can't really survive it without having had some of this uncomfortable pressure and right. learning about yourself and learning about learning to an extent. Um, but on the other hand, you're absolutely right. I think that in our interactions with students, they still feel like it's very much a test environment all the time. And so they're constantly worried about having a wrong answer or not being able to um, come up with the exact right thing to say or intervention to propose. When we understand from our perspective that they are still learning and that they need to be learning and that it's okay for them to have gaps, but I'm not sure that we actually communicate that to them well enough to make that safe learning environment that Dr. Rabelais mentioned before. At the beginning of each learning session, whether it's morning rounds at the hospital or a clinic in the afternoon, what if, what if we sat them down for a few minutes and said, today we're in hypertension clinic and there are going to be patients with these kind of symptoms and signs and give them sort of a safe place and a permission almost to expose what they don't know. At, not in front of a patient, but as you come out of a room and you're talking about what about this, what about this medicine, to expose what you don't understand yet and not be afraid that that's going to impact 
your grade. And, and then the faculty member serves more as coach than as, you know, decider of their ultimate fate. And can it would be like if you were if you were a tennis player and you were taking lessons from a tennis coach, and the tennis coach never told you, well, you're holding the racket wrong. And, and you're swinging wrong, and you're leaning the wrong way, your weight's on the wrong foot, and then gave you a grade like a month later that said, Ashley did all these things wrong. That wouldn't have helped you very much. But if we're in the moment with them and giving them permission to expose the fact that they're holding the racket wrong when it comes to this patient with hypertension or managing it, that they could learn in the moment from you. And that kind of formative feedback is something that I think we don't, know, don't do nearly enough of as faculty. Ashley, what are some other things that you really took away from, you know, the health professions education program you were involved in and other, you know, research you actually did on your own? One of the other really important concepts, I think, that I found was that of grit, which is a term that most people may have heard at some point, but the way it's particularly applied in our scenario um, refers to the combination of passion and perseverance and how that quality is actually um, an evidence-based reason for some folks to have better success in life than others and better success at their endeavors in life than others, that passion plus perseverance. And I think that medical students and those in health professions in general are sort of self-selected for having that in some ways, but I also think it's something that we can continue to cultivate in ourselves and grow and having a name to it and having um, an actual term that we can use to, to call it something has been very helpful for me to, to learn how to even develop it. So one of the key things about grit is that effort counts twice. We all have a range of things we're either good at or not good at. As individuals, it applies to medical students and residents and, and it really applies to anyone. And so acknowledging that maybe it's harder for you to get from point A to point B, but the effort that you put in will get you to point B, whereas for someone who has a higher skill level in that, less effort might get you to that same spot, but you have to put more effort in. So it's just knowing that it's attainable and that the effort will get your skills better and the skills will enhance your performance. And it's just a matter of, just sticking with it, that's the key. Is That's the passion and perseverance is just to keep driving through no matter what happens, keep on pressing through. That's what gets you through medical school, gets you through residency, gets you through parenthood. Just <laughs> keep on pushing through and, and you'll get to where you need to be. Angela Duckworth, who is the author or that developed the term grit and looked at right. you know passion and perseverance, and she's got a great book, If You've Not Read Grit, Go pick it up. But the thing that she talks a lot about is one of the best ways to develop grit in yourself and to help others develop grit is to have a more growth focus. There is some connection about your idea of, okay, I can't get there yet. You're reinforcing the ideas of that passion and perseverance and helping you get to that end goal. So, so grit and growth mindset are related. They're not, they're not separate terms or separate schemes for uh, getting better or getting to certain skill levels. And so the, the interplay 
between grit and growth mindset is an effective thing for us to understand and then to introduce to trainees so that they see it, whether they have felt it but didn't know they had a name for it or not, but to expose them to these to these concepts. The irony of this, especially with this topic that we're talking here today, podcasts are pretty passive, right? And we're, ta- we're here talking about how difficult learning is and how we need to be challenging our learners. And then we're putting out this, this podcast for our faculty learners that they don't really have to do anything. They're probably, what are they? They're mowing, well. They're mowing the lawn mowing, or they're doing the elliptical They're walking their something. dog. They're doing something else. <laughs> Washing so, clothes. Yeah. So I'm going to ask Stacy. Oh, boy. Can you, can you challenge our listeners to do something active today? What I would challenge you to do is tomorrow or the next time that you are with a student, a resident, a fellow, whomever, um, maybe talk about the term grit or talk about the term growth mindset and see if they were familiar with those terms. And if they're not, maybe, and if you're not very familiar, maybe that's something where you both can just uh, take a few minutes and go look it up. We've got modules about grit and growth mindset. We have lots of resources. And if you would like to just email me, I am happy so thrilled to be able to send you some things that you could use in the future. Our email address is facfeed, that's F-A-C-F-E-E-D, at louisville.edu. We look forward to hearing from you. Dr. Ashley Oz, we really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be as together we strive to make UofL a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Join us next time for more, and come hungry.